Our scripture this morning is taken from the Gospel according to John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. These are the words of Jesus. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Don, and good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Bethany. We're glad that you could join with us in worship as we continue a series looking at the various IMs that are in the Bible, in the Gospel of John, Jesus self-declared statements regarding his identity leading up to our time together in Easter whereby Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so please join me in prayer as we prepare to look at the word together. Father, we'd like to thank you that you haven't left us uh, here to speculate regarding the future or our identity or the life for which we are created, but that you've given us direction, Father, and that we know that we can... Uh, read words, but unless these words are coupled with the enlightening power of your Holy Spirit, that they would remain words or even become dangerous words. And so we'd like to just submit to you now and pray that you would be our teacher asking that we would be given the capacity to sift the, the, the words that you say and receive them and dismiss the words that I would say on my own. And we'll thank you for that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, some years ago, when my wife and I were, on, uh, I was on sabbatical, we spent some time in Austria, and on one particular day, my wife was privileged to go with friends of ours up in the high Alps for what is called the Gathering of the Sheep. It's an event that happens annually in September, where sheep come down out of the high country. Uh, they seem to know when the snow is going to come, and they bring the sheep down, and then it basically almost every year snows the next day. Whenever that is, that just seems to be the way that it works. It happened that way this year. Here's what the gathering of the sheep looks like, and this is in preparation for our consideration of Jesus saying, uh, I am the gate for the sheep. So look at the gate at the end in particular. Let's enjoy this together.
I mean, their voices never cease to amaze me. The voice of the sheep, incredible. Uh, it's a beautiful little moment. We took a, 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 what takes a whole day to do and tried to reduce it into like 60 seconds so that you could enjoy it. But all the way up, gathering sheep, all the way down. I'll share more about that experience next week because we're also looking at Christ as the shepherd next week. But for now, let me explain why this matters. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, uh, we see that uh, sheep and the gathering of sheep is a theme that runs throughout the Bible. Uh, all the IMs are related to themes. And so bread is a theme in the Bible, Jesus is the bread. Light is a theme in the Bible, Jesus is the light. Wine is a theme in the Bible, Jesus is the vine, we're the branches. And now we see uh, Christ being the gate for the sheep, the voice of the shepherd and the good shepherd, all of these things. But particularly this morning, I'm the door and I'm the voice uh, of hope for shepherds. And in Isaiah 53, 6, it says this, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've all gone astray. Uh, and, and so this plays itself out in human history. Because we've gone astray, we've lost our capacity to choose correctly. And because we've lost that capacity, all of humanity is suffering. We're at war with one another. There's plenty of food, but hungry people, right? There, 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 there's plenty of opportunity for peace, but war instead. There's opportunity for reconciliation, but instead of reconciliation, division. Why? All of us like sheep have gone astray. I saw yesterday a beautiful illustration of kind of this principle uh, when I was forced to go to the movie Beauty and the Beast. You guys know, <laughs> you guys know the movie. Uh, and the reason I say forced is because my wife had purchased tickets and I said... Uh, I'll go, no problem, unless Gonzaga is playing at this time, and then I won't go, and as it turned out, her tickets were for 4 p.m., and this basketball game I wanted to see started at 3.09, and so I was faced with a moral dilemma, right? Do I, do I, what do I do? And so I, I went to uh, a sports bar right near the movie theater, watched the first half, then under conviction, went to the movie, <laughs> Thinking I would, uh, you know, if it's a close game, I would leave. I'm, and so I'm checking the screen, which is illegal, but whatever. <laughs> I did that. And then I didn't need to leave, but here's the thing. I wouldn't have left anyway because the movie was so profound. And what was profound within the movie, uh, uh, if you haven't seen it, I'm not giving anything away here, is the, is the village, uh, in the movie, in distinction to the cartoon, the village... Uh, consisted of people who once knew this castle and once knew this prince, had a relationship. But as part of the curse, the memory of the prince was wiped away for all the people. So at the end, when there's restoration, you know there is restoration, at the end, the, uh, the village knew once again the prince. And I'm sitting there watching this, there's tears in my eyes because this is the gospel. When Jesus says... In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, uh, Jesus looked at the people and it says he has compassion on them because they were like what? Sheep without a shepherd. Here's what Jesus is saying. Really, they have forgotten. These people have forgotten who they are. <laughs> They've lost their identity. And once, they forget, once we forget who we are, to fill the vacuum of our identity crisis, we listen to other voices and the voices to which we listen are destructive. And, and, and so Christ comes along and says, though all of us like sheep have gone astray, the good news is I will be your shepherd. How do we go astray? Well, we go astray every time we choose isolation over engagement, every time we choose cynicism over hope or, or, or lust over love or greed over generosity. 
And so when Jesus sees this group of people who've lost their national identity, they're afraid, they're bitter, they're angry, and they don't know what to do about it. And so concocting solutions to recover their identity, they're digging the hole deeper for themselves. The Pharisees believe that the solution is to try harder. That isn't working. The Herodians believe that the solution is to play the system. That isn't working. The Zealots believe that the solution is to overthrow the system violently. That won't work either. The whole while, here's a group of people, a nation having lost their identity, starving for safety, security, direction, provision, freedom, and they don't have any of it. And by the way, nothing's changed. This is the world in which we live. And so the larger context is this. People are wandering around, all of us, looking for life and meaning and safety and peace, but looking at all the wrong places. Why? No shepherd, because we've forgotten who we are. And so when Jesus speaks in John 10 and he says, I'm the good shepherd, it's interesting that he's speaking in a way that sets himself up in distinction to the religious leaders of the day. He's speaking literally to those religious leaders, the Pharisees and, and, and scribes and religious elite of Israel. And in calling himself the good shepherd, he's contrasting himself <clears throat> with them as false shepherds. And in a way, what he's saying is, you guys are Gaston. <laughs> you're, you're, like, you're, you're telling people to believe things that, are, that will destroy you. Now, it sounds good because it's Bible, but it's not good. And it kind of harkens back to Ezekiel chapter 34, where we read this, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Again, those would be the religious leaders. Prophesy and say to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, woe shepherds of Israel. I mean, people like me, religious leaders, woe shepherds. Why? Uh, because you've been feeding yourselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? Instead, you eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the fat sheep, and you don't feed the flock. Those who are sickly, you don't strengthen. Those who are diseased, you don't heal. The broken, you don't bind up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought uh, for the lost, but with force and severity, you have dominated. And they were scattered for lack of a shepherd. My flock wandered through all the mountains on every high hill, and they were being destroyed. Therefore, shepherds, hear my voice. I will myself become the shepherd, God speaking. And how does that happen? Well, when Christ came, Christ being God declares, I am the good shepherd, right? So, so Christ now is saying in John 10 that I am what Israel has never had before in any human leader. I'm the shepherd. And, and there are three realities this morning as we consider shepherd, and a little bit more next week as we consider shepherd, but three this morning, that we must embrace if we're to mature in our own relationship with the shepherd in order that we might be well-fed and cared for. First, the shepherd provides for us a door and a fence for testimony and security. Second, the shepherd provides for us in and out for food, and that's a double d'entendre if you're from California. And third, the shepherd provides hearing and following for direction and transformation, right? Door and fence, in and out, hearing and following. We'll look at these three things together briefly, but follow with me as we see, here's Jesus declaring that he is the door and the fence providing testimony and security. So th this, this sense that Jesus is a fence, excuse me, a door 
for a pin. You saw the sheep pin and the sheep being led into the pin. This is what Jesus is saying. And it harkens back to something that has been present all through the scripture. And that's been either a fence for the sheep or a wall around a city. And whether it's a fence or a wall, the question on the table at the outset is, why is it such a big deal? And the reason is because fences matter throughout the Bible for two reasons. A, they're a marker of testimony. B, they provide security. So if, like a fence is a t- provides testimony, it's a marker, and provides security. Let me talk about testimony just for a minute. Whenever you have a fence, you have an inside and an outside, right? Uh, we have a new kind of building right next door. Well, not a kind of building. We have a new building next door. And we have a play area, and the play area has a fence. And the fence is marvelous because there's an in and an out. And then people are able to protect the children that are inside the fence, and it becomes a, a cultural marker. If you're in, that's good. If you're out, well, then we're not going to just let you in necessarily, right? And the same thing is true, actually, when we're talking about testimony, the same thing's true of any gathered community. In other words, if you're a family, if you're a church, if you're, a, to some extent, if you're a city or a nation, there are certain shared values. But let's talk about family. This is the most ob- obvious one. All of us in the room are in a family, and many of you uh, have homes in which you live. And so when people come over to your house, people may bring different traditions in, right? Maybe you uh, take your shoes off because you want to save your carpet and that kind of thing, or, what for, or be, whatever cultural reason there could be. You like to take your shoes off, but then guests come, and maybe guests don't honor your tradition, right? And they come in, and they've got mud on their feet, and they, w- they walk right in, and you kind of bite your lip, and you just go, okay, well, they're guests. They're leaving. <laughs> it'll, be g- it'll be fine, right? <laughs> However, if it's part of your family, th- then you make a big deal about that, don't you? Like if it's your own child or your spouse or something, you say, hey, wait a minute. Didn't we agree shoes come off at the door? Didn't we, I mean, did we agree? Because otherwise, you know, mud, snow, I vacuum, shoes come off. It's all, this is for a friend, of course. I'm not talking about anybody I know. <laughs> but <laughs> didn't we agree? Didn't we agree? Well, yeah, yeah, we agreed. So now this is a shared value at this point, right? And you've heard this before. It's in a different movie, King's Speech. My house, my rules. Do you know it? And parent, this is Parenting 101, you guys. Like, you can say it to your kids without any apology. Look, when you're here eating at my table, you don't throw food. You don't. You can go out, if you want to have a, like a food fight, then go to a different house. <laughs> Buy your own house. Then you can throw food. You can, you can eat naked, you do whatever you want, but here, we wear clothes and we eat with utensils, we don't throw food, that's just the way it is. Like, shared values, am I making sense? Right? And here's the thing, Every, any fence creates a community and the, and the nature of the community is there are values in that community that will be shared. That's the way it works. So when Jesus, excuse me, is teaching uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, these are the shared values, you guys. My people are poor in spirit. They're humble. They're hungering to do the right thing. Uh, They're willing to suffer to do the right thing. They're, They're peacemakers. These are our shared values, right? And now, when a wall is down in the Bible or when a fence is broken... It's symbolic that this, like the shared values have been lost and we've lost our identity. So Jesus calls this in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, he says, this is, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 5, he says, this is called losing your saltiness. 
Like, if, if within the family, some wear shoes, some don't, some eat with utensils, some eat with their hands, some throw food, some don't, some turn their music up to 110 decibels, some, some put headphones on, uh, like, what are you, who are you? There's no shared value. Some eat in front of TV, some eat at the table. Really? Like, it no, no longer is there anything here that's a distinct, you've lost your distinction, you've lost your saltiness, right? If anything goes, it's not a community anymore. That's what Jesus is saying. And so Jesus, when Jesus says, I'm the fence, here's what he's saying. Look, if you align yourself with me, progressively over time, you will come to represent my heart more and more and more. Ephesians 4 calls it this, growing up into the unity of the spirit. In other words, all of us will look more and more and more and more and more like Christ. That's what it means to be in a community with a fence. So we hold each other accountable by virtue of having a fence. And so when Nehemiah's wall was broken down, it wasn't really just about a wall, it was about the loss of community. And wrapped up in that was a loss of their distinctive. You see, at the time of Nehemiah, there was supposed to be justice, but there was oppression. There was supposed to be Sabbath keeping. Instead, workers were driven 24-7. Slaves were supposed to be freed. Instead, slaves were multiplied and, 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 and used uh, to death, literally. Instead of unity, infighting. Instead of monotheism, idolatry. They lost their distinctive, and when they lost their distinctive, eventually they lost their wall, right? And, and, and why is this appropriate? Well, it's appropriate to discuss because we need to name this and understand that our calling as a community, and I'm talking about our local church now, but also the church with a C, our calling as a community is to understand that we have distinctives, we don't agree on everything, as I'll address very quickly here, but we are called to be distinct from the prevailing culture. And one of the major complaints that people driving by right now would offer regarding the church is, what's, where's the distinctive? I don't see anything different other than they gather at 11 on Sunday. Thank you very much. There's football or soccer or jogging or skiing or sailing or any number of things. Why do I need to gather in a community that looks just like me? What do you mean just like me? Well, the divorce rate, roughly the same. Bankruptcy rate, roughly the same. Likelihood to know your neighbors, less so among people proclaiming faith than people not having faith. Chance of being in a relationship uh, characterized by domestic violence, higher in the church than outside. Why would anyone want to join us if we look exactly the same? And so we're called to saltiness. We're called to distinction, and that means we're called to be in dialogue with one another so that increasingly... From measure to measure, from glory to glory, we look more and more and more and more like Jesus. That's the first part of fence. But the second part of fence is almost, in a nuanced way, different, like opposite of the first part. And that's this. The fence also uh, provides for us a sense of security. Now, here's what I mean by that. If you, if you study uh, uh, schools with fences and schools without fences, you discover this. When there's no fence in a play yard... All the children huddle in the middle of the field. Have you read this study? They huddle in the middle. Why? Because without a fence, they don't know where, they don't have, there's no limit, right? But when there's a fence, what happens to those children? They, they fill the field all the way to the fence. And I'm more comfortable. Listen, isn't it funny? I feel more free and secure with a fence than without a fence. So this is our calling to be a community of a fence, this is what we stand for. This is what we believe. Now, but the question on the table in this second point of security is this. How big is the fence supposed to be? And uh, if you look at uh, uh, 
like you kind of do a survey of the church, you understand that there are communities with big fences and communities with small fences. And by, this is what I mean by that. The, the more uh, absolutes that I have as kind of preconditions for being the family and enjoying fellowship, the more absolutes, the smaller the fence. Does that make sense? Like if I got a ton of absolutes, my fence is tiny. So if I say, yeah, you're welcome here as long as you agree with me on my view of Scripture, my view on the age of the earth, my view on who wrote Ecclesiastes, my view on miracles, my view on whether you choose God or God chose you, it's both, by the way, my, my view on alcohol, my view on credit cards, my view on divorce, my view on remarriage, my view on the end of history, and like if you agree on all those things, then great, you're here. But I'm telling you, that's a tiny fence. The, uh, one uh, church reader board reads this. Do you love this? Here's this church reader board. We define our identity, anti-charismatic, pro-dispensational, King James only, Bible-believing, patriarchal leader-based, pro-Calvinist, anti-Presbyterian church. <laughs> and then at the bottom, in big all capital letters, all are welcome. Are you kidding me? <laughs> really, all are welcome? Yeah, you're welcome as long as you think exactly the way I do. Can you see the fence shrinking? And when the fence is tiny, like protecting our fence and deciding who's in and who's out becomes the biggest part of the conversation. I'm going to suggest to you that uh, we are called to embody, uh, we're called to be a community with a big fence, not a small fence. And not just because that's Bethany's history, though it is, but because the gospel is flexible enough for the whole world. And if you travel, you know this, right? You go to Nepal and we worship together. Here's the women, here's the men, sitting on opposite sides. Church is over, chai tea. And that's how we do it. You go, uh, and no alcohol. If you drink alcohol, you're a sinner. You go to Germany, if you, drink, if you don't drink alcohol, you're a sinner. <laughs> There's beer at the board meetings. I'm not exaggerating. And you go to Africa, and uh, we wouldn't pass the plate. You'd all come up, and you'd do a dance before you put your money in the plate, Right? And you go to Costa Rica, and when you're like, if we say hello, we kiss each other five times. <clears throat> and you go to England, and I can't get closer to six feet from you without feeling like I'm sinning, right? But the, the thing is, the gospel is, so who's right? Yes. Like the gospel's big enough to embrace all these kind of non-essential distinctives at a cultural level. And I would argue that because Ephesians says that we're growing into unity, there's a unity that is ours, but we have to grow into it. If we're growing into unity, then also the gospel is malleable enough to hold some different views along the way on the age of the earth, on speaking in tongues, on losing your salvation, keeping your salvation, the authority of scripture. And why? Because the one thing that matters is this, Christ. We preach Christ. And we don't agree on almost anything else. <laughs> and yet, you see, that provides for us a community in which uh, iron can sharpen iron. We can have dialogue so that we can grow into unity. Otherwise, when we shrink the fence, our, our, do you hear me? Our community becomes self-referential. We're in an echo chamber of people who think exactly the way we do. We will never grow there. We need each other in our diverse views, actually. And we need to listen in the midst of that. And I would argue to the extent that we could do that, uh, this would shine as light in our very divided, isolated world. So 
The door and the fence provide testimony. We have values, but also security. And because the fence is big, it's a big field on which we can play. And then uh, the door provides a way in and out of the pen to provide food for us. Look at verse 9. It says in verse 9 that um, I'm the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, go in and out and find pasture. Uh, pasture in and pasture out at times, right? So that like the shepherd opens the gate, we go out, and the shepherd brings us in. Now, uh, just I'll note here that saved doesn't just mean uh, saved out of hell into heaven. It includes that. Saved means that I'm saved from all forms of kind of destructive behavior that would enslave me. I'm saved. So that I'm truly free to enter into the life for which I'm created. And for me to do that, for me to become the person God had in mind when God made me, for me to move in that direction, I need to understand that God has a rhythm for my life. In the, in the pen and out of the pen, right? And God loves rhythm. God loves rhythm. Work and rest, day and night, spring and summer, winter and fall, six days, Sabbath, six years, sabbatical, 49 years, you're a jubilee. Every, every few months, a festival, right? Look, and then go out into the world, gather as a community of faith, celebrate, mourn, feast, fast, war, peace, confront, receive, talk, silent, community, solitude, world, church, all of that. And so you're going to be fed, then you need to be a person of rhythm, do you see? And all of us are made to experience these various rhythms over the course of our lifetime, and they're important because every facet of every experience then can help us to know God. But, but it's important then for us to be attuned to God's rhythms, and understand that there's a time, like in, in October, as, as a Bethany, we all gathered at the University of Washington. Some of you were there. It's a, one big gathering, 3,000 people. And for the introverts in the room who were on that day, like, then it's time to be tired afterwards. So then I just go to a friend's house in the afternoon and just chill and say, I just need a place where I don't have to say anything and, I'm, and be quiet. Engagement, withdrawal. Um, we used to run a ministry out of our house, 30 people at our table for a week for every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Then they'd leave, and then I'd go for a hike all by myself. And I'd sit and I'd watch the sunset. Engagement, withdrawal, right? Funerals, weddings. Studying, time on skis, listening to Foray's Requiem, or actually the very song that we heard this morning. Preaching, time with friends. All-nighter, 20 hours of sleep. It's the way it works. Rhythm. But here's the thing. How do you know? How do you know what time it is? Like, how, like where are you supposed to be? Is this a time for engagement or withdrawal? Is this a time for celebration or mourning? Is this a time to confront or a time to receive? Time for war, time for peace. Ecclesiastes says there's a time for everything. And a man at a prayer meeting years ago on 9-11 stood up, we were praying across the street, he read Ecclesiastes 3, a time for everything, and then poignantly, powerfully, he shouts, but God, we don't know what time it is. Yeah, it's a good problem. How do we know what time it is? Well, my sheep hear my voice and follow. So understand that every, all of us in the room tend by nature, uh, with all these dualities, 
We tend by nature toward one thing at the expense of the other, always by nature. Some of you love to work. Some of you love to never work, <laughs> right? Uh, some of you sleep too much. Some of you sleep not enough. Some of you, uh, I mean, I worked for a pastor once, and his mantra was, I love a good fight, and he was always confronting, right? I, I'm terrified. Of, I don't like confrontation at all. I tend to withdraw too much. So the question on the table is, like, how do you know what time it is? And the, here's the answer. You have to hear the voice of the shepherd. Like if I'm going to be fed continually, then I have to know when to withdraw, when to engage, when to celebrate, when to mourn, when to love, when to hate, when to, when to go to war, when to work for peace. I must know. And the only way to know is to hear the voice of the shepherd because without that voice, <clears throat> I have a default. And all of us do. Some of us are community activists, and some of us are hobbits. Some of us are grace people, some of us are truth people. Some of us, solitude, some of us, community. We need to hear the voice. And so this brings us to the last thing, hearing and following. It says here, uh, when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. So if I'm, if I'm to enter into this rhythm of withdrawal and engagement, it's not, it's not a wooden rhythm like, oh, the sun's up, it's withdrawal time. Oh, the sun's down, it's engagement time or vice versa, whatever it is. No, that's not the way it works. I must hear the, vo- hear the voice of the shepherd and follow. When I follow the shepherd, I find the shepherd's rhythm for me. That's, that's the promise. And don't you love this? My sheep hear my voice. So years ago, I I was in Austria. There's a climbing wall on a ski hill. It's October. There's no snow yet. I'm climbing, and sheep are coming down the hill with a shepherd. And I've never really encountered sheep before. And so I thought this would be a fun time to meet some sheep. So I I down-climbed. I got off this climbing wall. And unclipped, I still have my thing, my harness on or whatever, and I started walking toward the sheep. And I said, hey, sheep, just like that. <laughs> Boom! They totally scattered. They just scattered across the hillside completely. Like they were terrified, right? And so I thought I'd done a bad thing. And then I said, I'm an American. <laughs> still running, right? Then behind them is the shepherd. He says one word. I don't know the word, but he says his word. And it, was, it wasn't the word, it was his voice. My sheep hear what? My voice, the voice of the shepherd. They all gathered. It was amazing to me. And that, so they gathered, and then uh, he goes out in front of them. John 10, again, he goes out in front of them, they follow him. And now, it, sheep, I've learned this. Sheep are easily terrified. But now, they walk right past me, feet away from me, and they're not terrified at all. Why? Because the shepherd is talking to them. And as long as they hear the voice of the shepherd, they will go anywhere the shepherd goes so that he leads them right down the ski hill into the parking lot of the ski area and then through town on a pedestrian mall in the middle of the day with people shopping. There's accordions, you know, and people sitting on restaurants and stuff. And here comes all the sheep. No fear. Why? As long as I hear the voice of the shepherd, I am fine. Are you? And here's the question, well, maybe I would be if I, learned, if I really knew that Jesus was speaking to me, but I hear this all the time, Richard, you got to hear the voice of the shepherd, and what do you mean by that? I'm so glad you asked. I'm going to spend a few minutes in closing addressing that particular issue. I'll say these three things. You hear God if, you're, if your hands are empty. That's the first thing. You hear God if you believe God will speak. That's the second thing. And you hear God if uh, you're in relationship. What do I mean you hear God if your hands are empty? Well, it's no good 
having in mind already what you want God to say to you and then going to God and saying, God, you know, I really want to do your will. And, you know, I want to marry Sally over here, even though, and there's a long list of liabilities or whatever it is, forget it, but, you know, I, I really want to marry Sally. And so, God, I'm just coming to you and I'm asking. And what you're really saying is if you say yes, then I'm all in. But if you say no, then I'm not all in. And then you wonder why you don't hear God's voice. Look, you, will, you, you only hear God's voice if you come to, God's, come to God with empty hands. In other words, the presupposition when you come to God is this. I don't know what to do. You may have desires. I get it. We all do. But it's one thing to have desires. It's another thing to, to bring those desires before the Lord and say, God, it's, look, I, I, I want to do what you want me to do. And I, the, why, here's why this matters so much, at least speaking personally and as your friend and shepherd. There have been significant moments in my life when I totally needed empty hands, otherwise I would have made the wrong decision. I mean, uh, when I was choosing seminary, the la I, I'd, I, last place I want to go on earth, and I'm not exaggerating, was Los Angeles, last place. And in praying, it became evident, absolutely clear. Richard, you need to move to LA. I, and I... My wife knew it too. We, we bought, we'd heard the voice of the shepherd. Where do we want to go? Oh, you know, we could go to Portland. We could go to Whedon. We'd go to Boston. We'd go to India. We'd go to England. No, thanks. Yeah, Los Angeles. <laughs> really? Yes, really. Are your hands empty? Because here's the thing. If your hands aren't empty, when God speaks to you, you know what you'll do? You'll, you'll go ask somebody else until you find what you wanted to hear. Now you're no longer listening for the voice of the shepherd. So you need empty hands. Second, you need to believe that God is speaking to you. You have the faith to believe it. It says in James 1, <clears throat> if you lack wisdom, ask God. God will give you wisdom. In Psalm 32.8, it says this. Uh, God, will, God will guide you with his eye on you. In other words, if I come to the Lord and I need to make a big decision or a small decision, and I ask God for guidance then I believe that God loving me will, will bring guidance. It'll come through the scripture, it'll come through community, it'll come through my own uh, conviction and conscience, but God will bring guidance. And then if I believe that God has brought guidance, I will rest in that guidance. Because this is not God. Oh, see, I wanted you to turn right, you turn left, I'm done with you. No, never. God guides us with God's eye on us, so that if I was supposed to turn left and I turn right, God has a plan anyway. I'll be, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Many of us are paralyzed with fear and introspection, and we will never risk because we're not yet convinced God has spoken, even though we've heard. So much that we distrust not ourselves, we actually distrust God. It says in James 1, if you lack wisdom, ask God, and God will give you wisdom. But this is the thing. Ask in faith. Believe it. Okay, I asked. Now God guided that was our L.A. story. We asked, and then we had conviction. Los, Los Angeles is where you must go. We had a conviction. And it wasn't from us. We knew that much. And we have to go. And then the third thing here, the best hearers are in real relationship with God. Like the sheep with the shepherd on the hill in Austria. They've, hab they've developed habits of listening. And so where are you listening for God? Well, I'm, you know, you listen to, to God in times of prayer, maybe journaling, habits we've spoken of in the last couple of weeks, habits of quieting our heart, habits of opening the scripture, habits of pursuing community because God speaks through community, habits of opening our eyes to creation because God speaks in creation. 
so that when God speaks, uh, we hear God's voice. So are your, are your hands empty? Are you confident God is speaking to you? And are you in an ongoing relationship with God rather than just pursuing God in acute moments? Those are the questions on the table. And here's why all this matters so much. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, that days are coming when <clears throat> people will gather to themselves, <clears throat> excuse me, <coughs> teachers who will only tell them what they want to hear. In other words, uh, uh, P- uh, Timothy predicted, Paul, excuse me, Paul predicted in writing Timothy that there would, there would be a day when uh, societies and cultures and churches even would be so fractured that everyone would gather in tiny self-referential echo chambers, only listening to the voice they want to hear. Does this sound familiar? (laughs) This is the world in which we live. And and to the extent that uh, we see it in the culture, with Fox News and MSNBC and CNN and NPR and everybody else, and everybody has their, you know, one true source, my fear is that the church begins to replicate that and mirror that. But if we listen to the voice of the shepherd, here's the thing. God will speak and will shake us and our shaking will be fed and move into the life for which we're created. A man made a decision after hearing Romanita Hairston speak here on race, made a decision to engage in a conversation with somebody of a different race. And as he shares his story, he was like this, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to go to the thing on Monday night, but I went and then I didn't want to engage in the conversation, but it was nagging on me And so I did engage in the conversation. In other words, this is the voice of the shepherd. And he met with somebody and said, hey, I got to talk to you because my church wants me to. Uh, Can we talk for 20 minutes? They make an appointment. 90 minutes later, they're still in conversation. Profoundly moved, each of them. (laughs) So that by the time they left, somebody in another booth stands up and says, hey, uh, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Don't leave yet. First confession, I've been eavesdropping on your entire conversation. And second, second, uh, how'd this happen? Because this is what our world needs. Never been prouder of one of our sheep, actually. Because this is moving into God's story, do you see? So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes just for a moment here. We're going to pray together. And before I offer a prayer, I'm going to, I just want to know, and if you would, to honor others around you, also close your eyes so that everyone can have a moment with God here. I know that there are seasons in all of our lives when we're at a crossroads, when we have decisions to make. School, marriage, relationship, actions to take with our parents, with our children, business decisions, financial decisions, ministry decisions. And if you're facing a big decision right now, I want to make sure that I'm able to offer prayer for you. Would you raise your hand right now if there's a big decision on the table for you? And for those, uh, all of us with our eyes closed, thank you. I'll just let you know there's 50 or 60 hands up in our room. And then, uh, thank you. And then there are others in the room for whom life is just going on. And what we desperately need when life is going on is we need to, we need to develop habits now of listening for the voice of the shepherd. So pray with me as we respond. Father, I pr- pray for those making decisions this morning. Thank you that your promise is that you'll guide us with your, with your eye upon us. Would you give them ears to hear today what you are saying, Father, as they come to you with empty hands and belief that you'll be their guide. And then, Father, I also pray right now for, uh, for the rest of us. There's no big decision on the table, but decisions will come. May we be people today nurturing 
uh, our capacity to hear the voice of the shepherd so that we can follow you wholeheartedly. We give you these moments now as we respond in the name of Christ who is our hope.